A few weeks ago, as we were, uh, Kelly and I were talking through some stuff, and I was kind of just picking her brain a little bit, and then I was praying and saying, Lord, what do you want us to delve into after this Family Matters series that we had just come out of? And, uh, uh, and, and, and it, we just kind of, we, we kind of came upon something we were talking about a little bit, and then, uh, and then I began to look around at how the world is going lately. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems that a lot of people are on edge in the world today. There's a lot of people that are unhappy. There's a lot of people that are short of patience. They're long on anger, and they're just kind of really just kind of at odds with one another. It, it, there's just a, people are just ready to explode. But as we pull back, what I want you to realize is this. As we pull back, we see this big picture. It's always important for us to see the big picture of what the Lord is up to and what's going on in the world in in the scheme of things as far as what prophecy is all about, what God's Word says will happen in the last days. We have to understand, as we talked about in this Family Matters series, that we are living in an age where the spirit of Antichrist... Uh, is, is more prominent than ever before. And the spirit of Antichrist is a spirit of division. The spirit of Antichrist is a spirit who is trying to create division, confusion, and ultimately uh, separation uh, from, from one another and from, and from God. Uh, and really what we under- need to understand too is that this spirit is working over time to create scenarios in our life to divide us from one another and also from Jesus Christ. We understand in Ephesians 6.12 these words. It's a reminder to us that says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What this is saying is our, our, our enemy is not the person uh, that we disagree with on a political stance or a moral stance or, a, uh, or any other sort of stance. It's not the government. It's not your boss. It's not your spouse. It's not your neighbor. It's not anybody It's not a person. Our enemy is Satan himself and the demonic... uh, the demonic realm that's taking place that that exists in our world today. Um, There's a war going on in the heavenly realms for our very souls. There's a war going on in the heavenly realms for our peace, for our joy, for our salvation, and for us being effective an authentic witness for Jesus Christ. That's what's going on. Satan knows that Jesus is coming back very soon. Brother Don, you hit on it. I agree with you. All the signs are pointing to that Jesus is coming back to take his bride, the church of Jesus Christ, to heaven with him. Are you ready? You see, the signs of the end times are all around us. So anything that Satan can do, as John 10.10 says, to steal, kill, and destroy, he's giving it all that he's got, knowing that his time is short. Now, scientists have determined, this is kind of interesting, there's four spheres that represent the earth. They're kind of all around us, but let's just point them out. Four that scientists say. There's the lithosphere, which is solid earth. Anything that you see, this dirt and all that sort of stuff. There's the hydrosphere, which is anything to do with water, the vapors, what have you. There's the biosphere, which is all life, plants, animals, human beings. And then there's the atmosphere, which is the air that we breathe. But I would like to add one more sphere to this list that the scientists can't quantify, but is just as real. It's called the spiritual sphere. There's a battle that we're waging whether we want to or not. And there's a battle that we're waging whether we like it or not against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. We must always remember, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again, and I'll say it again. 
that people are not our enemies. Satan is our enemy. But because it's what we can see and touch and speak to, people are easy targets to take our rage and frustrations out on, aren't they? We can look around and say that things bug us. But really, if we're honest, it's not so much things, but it's people that bug us. Don't you dare elbow the person next to you. Don't you do it. (laughs) The title of this sermon series for the next three weeks is a question, what bugs you? What bugs you? So what does bug you? Or really, better put, what does that person do that bugs you so much? Because it's not really what bugs you, it's who bugs you. And why do they bug you so much is is really the next question. Why, why does that person bug you so much? We can always look outward and focus on what others do that bug us. The opportunities are there every moment of every day just about. But that approach, what that does is that conveniently takes the spotlight off of us. Onto the other person. But the people and the things that they do that bug us are really an opportunity to look inward. Because God is trying to teach us something. We may may not be able to change that person that bugs us, but we sure can work on ourselves, can't we? You know, circumstances and situations that you deal with in your life, they could range anywhere from just mildly irritating, that's just on this end here, and you can kind of just trot right along to this other end of the spectrum, and that part that simply says, you just want to scream because they bug you so much. These things that take place almost daily, they, they really do happen quite often. But God doesn't put them in our way for our tempers to blow. But he really gives us those opportunities to grow. Even for me this past week, I had an opportunity to grow. I'm saying that in faith. As I dealt with and had to work through an interesting situation. And I'm not sure how much I grew. But I know for sure it was an opportunity to grow. I had to laugh knowing, <laughs> actually, because uh, I knew that this sermon series was coming up. It was about to begin, and I guess God just wanted me to hear, learn something about myself, I don't know, and, and, and see how I could do better, how I could be more like Jesus and less like me in and through that situation. Maybe you've had a challenging situation happen to you recently as well. I don't know. Maybe just this past week as well. How, how did you do with it? Did you blow or did you grow? Some today might have heard me say this some years back, but for those who are newer to our church, this phrase bears repeating. When things squeeze you, what comes out? Not if things squeeze you, because they will squeeze you, but when they squeeze you, what comes out? You know, in the practical realm of things, if you squeeze an orange, we know that as you squeeze that orange, some delicious and refreshing and healthy juice comes out for you to enjoy, right? Oh, I love orange juice. But on the other end of the spectrum, if you squeeze a zit, yeah, I'm not going to go into the details, but I think you get the picture. By the way, I've seen a few episodes of Dr. Pimple Popper, and it's amazing how much nasty stuff our bodies collect. It's true. 
our bodies collect some nasty stuff, doesn't it? And the same goes with our attitudes. Nasty attitudes, nasty emotions, nasty thoughts, nasty hearts. And honestly, I'm a little concerned that too many people here are watching Dr. Pimple Popper. That just feels a little concerning to me. The fact is, we are all being squeezed. We're all being crushed. We're all having pressure put on us. I wonder how often we fail the stress tests in our lives. How do we hold up under pressure? How do we navigate through the things that bug us, through the people that do things that bug us? Now, my goal, and I hope yours is as well, is that the pressure, when this pressure is applied in my life, I want more often for, the, for a sweet fragrance to be produced, for, a, for a, a healing ointment, just like when olives are crushed and that olive oil, that, that healing ointment comes out, rather than nasty attitudes and poisonous sludge of words. With all that said, I, I think that the Lord would have us to spend the next few Sundays looking at how we can have fewer tempers blow and more opportunities to grow, to be more like Jesus. It's a very familiar passage that we're going to read and go over the next few weeks. Galatians chapter 5, if you will, turn with me there, starting in verse 22, and you'll see the bugs on the screen there as a constant reminder as we look at these words here today. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The reason they said that last part, against such things there is no law, is just before that, there was a list of things that were needing a law, like murder and you know, all the stealing and all those other sort of things that are in there. You kind of need laws to kind of confront those. But there's no law that's needed to be written for these nine things on this list. There's no, there's no law that needs to be passed that we would be kind and gentle with one another. Just It's a thing that we do as we yield to the Holy Spirit. Now, this kind of seems like a simple list, by the way. Well-traveled uh, territory that we can visit here. We think, well, these nine things, okay, can't we just move on to some deeper stuff? Yeah, I guess we can, but there's also some times where we need to come back and revisit some things that maybe we uh, need to work on, that we think we've maybe mastered, but maybe we haven't, because when things squeeze us, what comes out, right? And if love, joy, peace, and all these other sort of things are not coming out, but it's just the opposite, maybe we need to look at this list again and say, wait a minute, this is a fundamental of my faith that I need to do a diagnostic on and see how I'm coming along. So I pray that the Lord would uh, help us, the Holy Spirit would speak to us, and that we all would open up our hearts so that we can see how we might shore up some of these weaker areas and grow to be more like Jesus. These nine fruit will help us to be more successful in our walk with Jesus when things and people bug us. So first, I want us to say, I want to say this, that when we read the fruit of the Spirit, we always see these are the fruit of the Spirit, and it's true, but the fruit of the Spirit we're actually reading is the character, what the fruit of the Spirit are is actually the character qualities and the character attributes of Jesus Christ. Because you see, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, Okay? So when we accept Jesus into our hearts and make Him our Savior and make Him our Lord, we begin a process of dying to ourselves and growing to be more like Jesus. That should be the goal. Less tempers to blow, 
more Christ in us to grow. The Spirit of Christ now dwells in you and me as we've received Jesus as Lord and Savior. With all of these attributes available to us to grow in us. I want you to listen to how Paul describes this whole thing of dying to the flesh and living in the Spirit. It's found in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 5. Listen to this. It's such a good, such an important, helpful passage. It says, those who live according to the flesh, that means those that either are um, uh, not saved or are saved but have just gi- or keep giving into the flesh, just keep kind of tapping into those things that, that we are used to. Even though we are saved, we have Jesus in our hearts, we keep giving place to the flesh. So those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. So they're thinking through Every way that they can desire to be hateful to someone, unloving to someone, uh, unkind to someone, those sort of things, right? But those who live accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. So what that saying is, is all right, Lord, I'm, I'm going to renew my mind in your word today and every day when situations come my way that I'm going to allow the Spirit to think through me and therefore act and speak through me. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Great contrast there. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. And really, I would say hostile to His ways. Hostile to His heart. Hostile to His desire and His pursuit for us to be more like Christ. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. In other words, those who are governed by the flesh reject God's Word and instead embrace their emotions, their flesh, the things of this world. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, now this is speaking to us as believers, those of us who have made a decision to serve Jesus. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. Can I just say that again? Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, listen to me. You have made a decision to, to, to serve Jesus. You've asked Him in your heart, Amen. So with that, you are not in the realm of flesh anymore. You're in the realm of the Spirit. That's the choice you've made. That's what you've embraced. So you're not in the realm of the flesh. You're in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, which He does as a believer in Christ. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, which he is, you've invited him into your heart, correct? He's living in you. His spirit is in you. Even though your body is subject to death because of sin. In other words, you're growing old, you're dying, you're getting sick. One day it's appointed that a man wants to die. But our spirits are going to live forever. If Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death, the spirit of life, I'm sorry, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. In other words, doing the right thing things based on God's word, based on God's instructions, based on the example that Jesus has given us, based on his spirit uh, renewing us and flowing out from us to others. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, think about that. The spirit of Jesus who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you today. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. What that's saying is, yeah, your body is dying, but you're going to be renewed one day in heaven, and you're going to have an eternal body just like Jesus does. Therefore, that's always a pivot word. All that I just, I said all that to say this. Therefore, 
So everything that I just said points to what I'm getting ready to say. Brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. Say that word with me. Obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. In other words, we've made this decision, and I'm not obliged to live now anymore to the flesh. I'm not beholden to it. I'm choosing not to feed it anymore. Instead, I'm obliged to live by the Spirit. It says, if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And that's, that's an ongoing sort of statement. If by the Spirit you put to death, it's not just a one-time thing. It's as you're being squeezed, as, as people bug you, as you're going through your days, as opportunities are there to grow instead of blow. You're putting to death those things that rise up and you say, oh, wait a minute. No. Instead, I'm going to respond appropriately in the spirit. As you do that, you're going to live. For those who are led, say this with these last phrase, these last words. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. That's what we're talking about here. That's what we're going to be looking at over the next three Sundays. We have an obligation to submit to the Holy Spirit of Christ. To put to death those awful fleshly things. And to put on the attributes of Christ. You ever take on off some old smelly clothes you've been working out in the yard or whatever? He's like, I got to get out of this stuff. I've been hiking all day. I've been out there just working all day in the, in the dirt and all that. I'm going to get me a, something clean on, Right? And feel good to get that shower and get all cleaned up, put that nice, oh, that smells better. That's what it is. We got to get that nasty stuff off of us. Let's get washed in his word. Let's get washed in his blood. Let's put on the garment, the robe of praise and righteousness and holiness and purity, right? That's what he's talking about. That's what we've done when we made the decision to follow Jesus. Following means more often saying what he says thinking like he thinks, feeling what he feels, and doing what he does. And it's less often being opposite of that in those areas. <laughs> he establishes the steps and we follow them. When we do, the fruit of the Spirit will be more evident in us. And we need the fruit of the Spirit to be more evident in us as never before in this generation, in this time that we're living not only do his goals and purposes become ours, but his character qualities and attributes become ours as well. In other words, I'm not going to tell someone about Jesus and say, you need to get saved because Jesus is coming back, but I'm also going to be an authentic representation of him to those people that I speak to. We've got to be appealing in our life. Ooh, you're different. I want to be like that. Well, then how about follow me as I follow Christ? See? See? Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We're just dead. How many's dead in this place? Yeah, we should be. <laughs> and we should be alive in Christ. All of us should be dead to ourselves and alive in Christ, or at least working in that direction, right? It's a process. It's a journey. And it's all interconnected with people who bug us. <laughs> so let's look at the first one. The first one is love. First one on the list, love. Now, in the 1960s, hippies' mantra was make love, not war. This is not that kind of love. 
It's not a love for such things as Rocky Road ice cream, which I love. Beautiful sunsets, which I love. Cuddly puppies, which I love. It's not a love for that. It's not the kind of love we're talking about. This word love here is the word agape. Ah, very familiar word, right? It's a God love. It's a love we can't cultivate in our own strength. I don't have in my own Brian Keith flesh agape love. I don't. I can't muster up agape love into being. Oh, I will have agape love. I will will it into being. No. We cannot in our own ability walk in agape love. It can only be manifest in and through our lives as we yield to the Holy Spirit to love through us like God loves. The Holy Spirit, we give Him access to love through us like God loves. That's not easy to do, but that's what this is talking about. Now, agape love, this type of love is described as an unconquerable benevolence. That's kind of a big fancy word. What that really means is it's a love that can't be defeated. It just can't. Now, I want you to think about this for just a second. I want you to think about some people in your life that are hard to love. In fact, how about people that you really just don't like, that you kind of even hate? It's okay. We're human beings. There's people that I know you don't like. I'm, on, I'm that same way. There's people that I just really don't like, okay? I want you to think about those people right now while I'm uh, describing this here just a little bit more. Because agape love is love at its highest level. It's, there's, there's nothing higher than agape love. And by the way, that love is in two directions. First, there's this vertical love that we have between us and God or God and us. Really, more it's God and us. And then from there, it goes out to a horizontal. So let's talk about that for just a few minutes. Again, thinking about these people that you really just kind of despise. Okay? I want you to think about these people because this, this kind of love that we need to have for those people is a kind of love, this agape love, that no matter what they may do to you, whether they're insulting you, whether they're injuring you, whether they're humiliating you. This kind of love says that I will, I will never seek anything else for that person except their highest good. Ooh, that's hard. Think about it. That person that you absolutely despise, the kind of love that God wants you to have for them, the agape love that you don't have, but he does through you, says, okay, you push aside all the rest of that stuff and say, I want you to enjoy the best blessings. I, no matter what you've done to me, this has nothing to do with how you are towards me. I want your highest good. This kind of love, it's an intentional yielding that has as its goal to never seek anything but the best for someone. It's hard because don't we want the worst for those people that we don't like? Sick them, God, right? Go get them. You reap what you sow, you know? Okay, true, but wait a minute. Why do I wish that on them? I just, because I don't have an agape love for them, but I need to. It's easy to have an agape love for people that are easy to love, but for those that are wanting my harm and insulting me and doing all manner of evil against me, I, I can't love them. 
I want to do harm to them, and I want them to be harmed. I want them to experience what I'm experiencing. Okay, let someone hate you like you hate me. See how it feels. I mean, that feels better to say, doesn't it? And it seems right. But that's not what agape love is. And agape love says, I don't care what you do to me or say to me. That's what Jesus did. I'm still going to love you with the highest love because I have your best intentions in mind. I want your highest good in your life. Even for those who seek the worst in you, you want to seek the best for them. When someone does something that bugs you, and they will, the Apostle Paul says that the first fruit of the Holy Spirit of the Spirit of Christ is this spirit of agape love. Really, it's a foundational. It's there first for a reason because everything else is built on it. When asked which was the greatest commandment, Jesus wisely cleared out the underbrush of all the man-made rules and regulations the religious leaders of his day had saddled the people with. There were these hundreds of them. And he says, okay, you want to know what the greatest commandment is? Mark chapter 12 is where it's found. Verse 29 and 30, it says, The love, I'm sorry, love the Lord your God with all your heart. So here's this vertical. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, which is your emotions, with all your soul, which is your spirit, with all your mind, which is your thinking, with all your strength, which is your body. In other words, with everything that was within you, love him, that agape love. And then he kind of did a little tricky thing here. He said, and the second one, they didn't ask it, but he, 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 he added it. The second one is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Let me ask you this, how do you love that person that you thought about that you absolutely despise? Would you want someone to love you that way? Huh? Yeah, that's hard. But that's what it's saying. As much as I despise that person, as much as I want to see harm to them, agape love says, I'm going to love them like Jesus loves them because I want that sort of love to come back to me. I need to love my neighbor as I love myself. How do you love yourself? I think quite well. I think you love yourself quite well. You understand yourself quite well. You understand your shortcomings and limitations quite well. You excuse yourself a lot. You forgive yourself a lot, don't you? Yeah, because you know you. That's the kind of love we need to have for other people. There is no commandment greater than these. He took those two and put them together. There's no commandment greater than these. He put them together. I just love that phrase. There's an important order to this, by the way, because you cannot agape love others well until you agape love God well. So how well do you agape love God? When you have Jesus Christ as your unconquerable highest love, as the foundation upon which you build your life, as the most important and fiercely guarded love of your life, agape loving others is a more natural outflow. So you doggedly guard and fiercely defend your relationship with Jesus Christ. You intentionally and passionately pursue relationship with Him. And that love will come, that agape love towards others that, that right now just really just torque your jaw, they just, they just eat you alive, man. They just, oh, no, wait a minute. That's going to feel less of, a, of an emotion, and there's going to be more of this, okay, wait a minute. I need to love them like Jesus loves them. Oh, I'm not speaking from an, a, an expert vantage point to say, I got this, and you guys need to figure it out. Hey, we're all in this thing together because I'm struggling with it too. 
Because you see, it's out of the reservoir of your agape love for God and with God that you can truly agape love others. Not that it will ought to be, uh, always be an automatic response. It's never really going to even be an easy response. But it should be a more frequent way of responding when things and people bug you. I don't know about you, but it feels like the older we get, the more cynical and jaded and cranky we're prone to become. Bunch of grumpy people. I don't know. Maybe we just get worn down. Maybe we just get tired of the same old stuff and we finally just give in and justify our unloving attitudes and excuses. I've met some pretty grumpy old folks. But I've also met some pretty grumpy young folks. <laughs> I mean, think about it. If some 70, 80, and 90-year-old people have worked their way into this grumpiness in our day and time, uh, let's go back to the Old Testament. What about these dudes that were like 700, 800, 900 years old? And can you imagine how awful they would have been to be around? I mean... <laughs> They were really grumpy, you know. Some people are wired a little more optimistically. I want you to think like people always looking at the glass half full. I don't know, maybe that's you. So it takes a little longer for them to get worn down. Some people <laughs> come out of the womb thinking everything stinks. <laughs> and they're just grumpy from the very get-go, the glass half empty sort of people, you know. I would say that maybe most of us are somewhere in the middle. As we navigate through our life and circumstances, they, those things just wear us down, don't they? We tend to fall into a place where we find it harder to agape love others because after all, people bug us, amen? Wow, not a single amen on that one. I was waiting to say, people, people were getting ready to say it and they went, I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> Let's just get it out of our system. People bug us, amen? amen. All right, there you go. It feels better now, doesn't it? Because you see, it really is okay to admit it. It's okay to admit that people bug us. By the way, if people didn't bug you, I would actually think that maybe you're, I'd just be a little concerned for you because I think you might be in a coma and you just don't realize it. So, I'm sure you've already thought of the person or the people who most bug you. And again, please do not, just don't elbow the person next to you. But I want you to think about it this way. Those people that God has placed in your life that bug you are the very ones that he's given you opportunity to grow in agape love, right? Thanks a lot, God. Yeah. So how do you agape love well? Let's look real quick at this. We're going to look at three things. There's actually more, but there's three things that how Jesus loved that I want us to kind of just point out for just, and write these down and I'll go from very quickly. The first thing is he loved, sac he loves sacrificially. Jesus loves sacrificially. We, we, we sang about this, we took communion. He, he gave us his life. He gave us his all. He didn't just give a little bit. You know, there's a difference between a chicken and a pig when it comes to breakfast and their contributions. You know? God wants us to give uh, our all, Right? 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. It's a simple sense of being sacrificing in whatever it is that God's called us to do towards others. So I want you to write this question down maybe just really quickly. How can you, how can you give your life away to others? 
particularly to those that bug you? How can you give your life away to that person or people that bug you? How can you sacrificially do that? Second thing, Jesus loves outwardly. He loves outwardly. What do I I mean for that? In other words, he let it show. It wasn't an undercover love. It wasn't a secret love. He let everybody know. And by the way, he loved outwardly, especially as it was a witness for others. Think about the woman at the well. He loved her outwardly and impacted so many people. He, he loved the woman who's caught in the act of adultery and it impacted so many people. He loved Peter and brought him back in after Peter denied him three times and it impacted so many people. He loved outwardly. John 13, 35 says, but this everyone, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. It's an outward expression of agape love. So how can we practice? Here's the question you ask yourself again. How can you practically show love to others? How can you outwardly show love to one another? And by the way, in such a way that you do it, that it's a witness to unbelievers, that it's an an example of who Jesus Christ is to those that don't know Jesus Christ. How can we love one another? That's what this scripture is saying. Everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Let's love one another. Let's not fight with one another, right? Third thing, Jesus loves unconditionally. There's no limits to his love. There's no qualifications to his love. There's no restrictions to his love. He doesn't say, I'll love you if. And he loves us to the ends of the earth. You cannot escape his love. Romans 8, verse 35 and 37 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No! And all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. Nothing, nothing, nothing will will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So here's the question we ask. Who can we love with no restrictions? Who can we love unconditionally? Who out there that bugs us, that doesn't deserve love, really deserves love and needs it more than ever? How can we love them unconditionally? That's where the rubber meets the road as to whether we know that we're really functioning well in agape love. So when people bug you, ask the Holy Spirit of Christ to take control of your emotions. Ask the Holy Spirit of Christ to allow Him to love through you sacrificially, outwardly, unconditionally. It's the foundational fruit that we desperately need more of. And then as we yield fully to the agape love of Christ, more so, then we can begin to add to the list the next fruit, and that is one of joy. We sang about joy. Brother Don, you were talking about joy today. You kept singing about joy. Hayden, it was just wonderful. By the way, joy is not cracking up at a joke. Joy is not winning an award. Joy is not the thrill of a victory in a sporting competition. Joy may be part of what we feel, but it's not the basis of true joy. I think too often this little three-letter word, when we think of joy, we think of happiness and laughter and gladness of heart. But what is true joy? Well, there's a famous scripture that you actually... I preached my message this morning, Hayden. It's a scripture that's been put to song. First, might seem it was maybe found in the book of Psalms. It feels like a psalm sentiment of sorts. But as we heard earlier in our worship, it's a passage found in Nehemiah. Nehemiah 8.10 exactly is where it's found. And let's read it. It says, Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Don't grieve for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Now, what does all that mean? 
Well, let me just give you a real quick backstory to this. The people of God had just come out of years and years of bondage and exile and difficulty. They were back in Jerusalem with the walls rebuilt, but their hearts were still needing to be restored back to God. And so Nehemiah the builder had Ezra the priest read the scriptures out loud to remind the people of who they were and also whose they were. The people were grieved when they realized how far they'd strayed from God. And at that moment, they made a commitment to serve God. They repented and turned back to God. And God in His graciousness forgave them and restored them. And when you think about it, that's really us, isn't it? In our bondage, in our difficulty, we came to our senses, we repented of our sins, and God graciously and mercifully and miraculously forgave us and restored us back to right relationship with Him through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And it brought our hearts joy, didn't it? It brought our hearts a joy that only the Lord can bring. Because joy is a constant gladness. And joy is this cause to rejoice that's not based on our circumstances. It's, it's not based on anything that we see outwardly. But it's based on who Jesus is. Think about this. Listen to me. Joy, the joy that we have is based on who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and where we're headed with him. That's the basis of our joy. The joy of the Lord stems from a constant inner strength from our daily, ever-growing, and vital relationship with Him. You see, joy is not happiness. Happiness comes and goes based on circumstances. Joy instead is a constant strengthening reminder of what God has brought us out of. What has God brought you out of? Amen? Isn't that cause to rejoice? To be joyful? What has God brought you out of? Let's be joyful in that. Amen? But also joy is not only what He's brought us out of, but it's also how much further He has for us to go with Him. Not by ourselves, but with the Lord. We have a joy because He's walking with us. He's our strength. It means that the road won't be necessarily easy or pain-free. But we can rest in the fact that we're not in this journey alone. God is with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. His Spirit fills us. And His Spirit guides us. And His Spirit gives us joy. And I'm here to say this morning that in the good times and the bad times, we can know that His joy is strengthening us for the journey because the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord produces strength. With heaven as our final destination. And that should bring us ultimate joy. This fruit of the Spirit, by the way, this joy has its origins from the Lord. He gives us joy, which then gives us strength. But again, let's think about this. This joy that we have is not just so that we can go, oh, I've got the joy of the Lord. It's not just a strength for us, but it's also a strength for others. Again, this is a fruit in two directions. Agape love, this way. Joy of the Lord goes this way as well. Because it's from God, but then it's not only for us, but it's in us, then it's out to others. Those around us are struggling. As we said at the beginning of this message, there's a lot of people on edge. There's a lot of people that are just ready to just explode. And we see it actually happening. People are just hurting each other and killing each other. And just, it's awful out there. These people, they don't have the joy of the Lord. They're doing, they're just struggling just like we are. They're, but they're, they're doing it without the joy of the Lord strengthening them. And so what did they do? They, they turned to other things. They turned to drugs. 
They turn to alcohol. They turn to vices and habits. They, they turn to addictions and wrong relationships and stuff like that. It just kind of bugs us, doesn't it? We think about, well, why are they doing that? Because they don't have the joy of the Lord. They don't have a, they don't have a hope of what, they, what God's brought them out of. They sure don't have a hope of what's getting ready to happen in the future. There's not a joy that's there. They're struggling. We need to understand that. We ask ourselves, why do they do that? Why do they say that? Why are they acting that way? What's up with them anyway? They don't have the joy of the Lord. They don't have that assurance of where God's brought them from, who they are in Him and where they're going. And folks, we have that to share. We have something to share, to pour into their lives. We have the Lord's joy, not just to keep inside of us, but to pour it out to others. You see how Nehemiah told the people in that scripture that I just read, he says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Just in other words, the blessings of the Lord. But then he also added, and sends them to those who have nothing prepared. There you go. That's where this fruit points outward to others. I've got the joy in me. I've got the joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Right? But it's also going to spill out onto others. I'm just going to keep it to myself. I'm going to go and send some to those who have nothing prepared, who have no joy. Just as the fruit of love is directed towards others, uh, God first and then others. So the fruit of joy is directed first to us inwardly and then out towards others. We feast on the joy of the Lord and share it with others who need it as well. By the way, you can't share the joy that you don't have. The joy of the Lord gives an, the, the, the joy that the Lord gives us is an abundant joy. It's an overflowing joy. It's a joy that spills out onto others. John 15:11, Jesus said these words, "I have told you all these things. It's this wonderful passage of, of, of multiple chapters in this last words of preparation before he was crucified. And he's saying, "I've told you all this, kind of culmination in this phrase, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. In other words, full. I've told you these things so that you may have joy." to the fullness. Jesus had a hope and made us an offer that is joy. What is this joy again? Let me just say it one more time. It's a joy, it's a confidence that we have that we're restored in Christ. Amen? Are you restored in Christ today? Are you established in Christ today? Amen? Are you covered under the shelter of his wings? Amen? Are you excited today that through, his, through the good times and the bad times that you are taken care of and you're under the shelter of his wings? Amen? then that should produce joy. Not happiness, joy. It's a deep-seated sort of sense that no matter what's going on, no matter what my life may hold, I know who holds it, and I'm going to have joy, and that his joy is going to be my strength through the good times and through the bad, that it's going to be full, and it's going to be abounding, not so much just it's in me, but it's going to be so much so that it could and would overflow into others. That's what Jesus' hope is. Not just joy for you, but joy for others that need it, desperately need it. That choice food and sweet drink of Nehemiah's day is today the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We live in a generation that is in desperate need of the joy of the Lord, a joy that brings hope and strength, a joy that's not based on circumstances or feelings, a joy that looks beyond what we can see. It's a joy that's based 
in someone eternal. His name is Jesus. Not just the temporary things. The joy of the Lord is from him. Poured into us, then overflowing out of us onto others. And then back to him in a full circle. (laughs) That points people to the hope that we have in Jesus. It's not my joy, it's the joy of the Lord. You want it? All right, let me point you to Jesus. So it's a full circle thing. And it's just repeated in everybody's life as it goes. Help us, Lord, to have that joy. So when people bug you, be reminded of what God has brought you out of and where he is leading you. And then instead of giving into your flesh and being miserable or hateful or angry or whatever, grumpy, allow the Holy Spirit of Christ to bubble up in you that joy that rules your emotions and splashes out onto people who don't have the joy of the Lord. Oh, help us, Jesus. First Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have in me. So with the foundation of agape love and then the addition of overflowing joy, we can add this next fruit, which is the fruit of peace. This is the last of the three fruits we're going to be looking at today. In Matthew, Jesus gave a powerful sermon on the mount, which began with the Beatitudes. And as part of the Beatitudes, it's a very familiar one. Matthew 5, 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peace lovers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. There's a big difference. Being a peacemaker is different than being a peace lover. You can love peace all day long. How many loves peace? Yeah. But in the midst of your turmoil, if you don't make peace, you will not have peace. This fruit of peace is so important and needed in this generation of division and animosity. The spirit of Antichrist is one of division. And we need to make peace. And by the way, this peace just like the other two fruits, is primarily targeted again in two directions. It's so interesting how these work. The first area of peace is between man and God. You ever been to a funeral and the minister or somebody says, and I'm just so thankful that before they passed, they made peace with God. You've heard someone say that? They made peace with God. That doesn't mean they just came to a handshake and said, well, okay, we're just going to agree to disagree. No. That means that they made a decision before they passed to ask Jesus in their heart. They made it right with God. They made their peace with God. No longer divided. They made peace. They got saved. Right before they went home. God took away that division, that disruption, that turmoil that was in their lives and made peace in their hearts. He replaced it with peace. It's a peace that is an assurance that when we die, we're going to go to heaven because we have made peace peace with God. The Bible says it's a peace that passes all understanding. It's going to rule our hearts. It's going to rule our minds until Jesus returns. This peace, this peace is really defined as more of a wholeness. It's kind of a completeness. It's, it's where there's nothing missing. It's just peace. It's really interesting. If you read Joshua 8.31, and I'm not going to read the passage, but I'll describe to you what's going on. They're building a temple, rather an altar. They're building an altar to the Lord in Joshua 8.31. And And as they were building this altar to God, the instruction was that they weren't to build it out of any stones that were chipped or carved. No metal, no iron, no no chiseling. They just take whole stones in its natural state and build the altar that way. 
That's what this piece is talking about. And the same descriptive, the same word is used back in Joshua 8.31. Which, by the way, also points us to another aspect of this fruit of peace. As we've made our peace with God, also it's our goal to make peace with others who bug us. As we look back a few weeks ago, there's divisions in families, workplaces, communities, and nations. Conflict abounds. And we look around at our lives personally, and it's like there's a piece missing from the whole stone of our, of our lives. Maybe there's chips all around. A child, a loved one. We look and see where there's a chip laying there where there used to be a child, a parent, a sibling. We look and see a chip where there used to be a friend, a companion, a trusted advisor. We look around and we see a chip where there used to be a whole and complete community, a state, a country, a world. The fruit of peace calls us to make peace with God and with others, two directions. Romans 12, 18 says, if it's all, at all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Being a peacemaker is hard. I don't know many people who thrive on conflict or drama, there's some, but we need to pray for them. They just don't know what's wrong with them. They just don't know. Some people just can't function without drama in their lives. These old drama queens and kings, they just love to function that way. Do not elbow. Just, Lord, just keep our elbows in. By the way, I'm not one of those people. I hate drama. Ugh, hate it. I, I think most of us want to live at peace with everyone. But it takes work. And I'm not great at this, by the way. Jesus sure didn't shy away from conflict, but his conflict was always the good kind of conflict. He not only turned the money changers over in the temple, their tables over in the temple to protect the holiness of God's house, but he also, think about this, he confronted the sins of all mankind. After he died on the cross and before he rose again, during that three days there, he went down to hell, confronted Satan, and took the keys of death, hell, and the grave, and he made peace for us with God. It's always the good kind with him. He was and he is a peacemaker, and after all, one of his titles is the Prince of Peace. And now he's given us the assignment, by the way. He's turned it over to us to represent him well in the area of reconciliation, which is another way of saying peace. Peace brings reconciliation. Reconciliation produces peace. First with God and then with others. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says this, God has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So then this peace that we have, we now talk to others and say, you can experience that same peace, that same reconciliation, that same restoration like I did. Let me tell you how that works. Making peace is messy. Making peace is not fun. Making peace is stressful. And sometimes you look at a path in front of you and you don't know where to turn. You don't know what steps to take and you don't know what to do. Sometimes it's best to just having done all stand. And trusting in the Lord. I know a few weeks ago, I got so many comments from this message about conflict in families. We learned from the prodigal father an example, and this is really what God does for us. A great example of how we can rest in this, that we can breathe and rest and trust in God that He's got this division that's going on in our families. We can stay busy with what he's placed in, a, in front of us to do and love those that he's 
placed in our lives to love. We cannot lose hope no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, no matter what the circumstances may say otherwise. And we also can already forgive and already in our hearts forgive those who are chipped off of us. And they're out there somewhere living in the turmoil that they've chosen to embrace. And, and when the opportunity comes about, then we let the fruit of peace make peace. We can't force it, just like we can't force someone to agape love, or we can't force someone to experience the Lord's strength and joy. We can pray, though, and we can trust God with it, that He's working things out for our good and His glory. Those living in the turmoil of their deception are walking in the flesh. But we can pray and ask God to transform their minds to be governed instead by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 6 actually says it this way. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The fruit of the Spirit of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit of peace is in us to reign over us and then to pour out from us onto others. So, as I close out here today, Life is messy, isn't it? Is life messy to you or is it pretty clean? It's pretty messy, isn't it? People sure do bug us sometimes, don't they? Yeah. I know that I can say this, that I'm just thankful that we have Jesus. I'm thankful that we have His Holy Spirit. I'm thankful that we have the fruit of the Spirit we can tap into we can draw from we can allow him to take the reins of our heart these first three the agape love for God and others being the foundation this sacrificial and this outward unconditional sort of love love for him love for others then overflowing strengthening joy from God what he's brought us out of where he's taking us brings a joy so many people need to know about out to others give them that same joy and in peace that makes us right with God and right with others. That's a great start to ask the Holy Spirit to help us walk out this week. I don't know about you, but I'm going to need longer than a week to perfect these. But I don't really think that's the goal, is it? We're not going to be able to walk in perfection with any of these up to the last breath that we breathe. But we need to press in, don't we? Say, all right, Lord, this has been placed in front of me. What am I going to do with it? Just keep doing what I normally do, keep trying to love in my own strength and have a joy based on circumstances and just be a peace lover? Or, man, Holy Spirit, can you help me to just take one step in the direction of being like what we just heard here today? Yeah? I, I don't think he's looking for perfection. In fact, I know he isn't. But he is looking for us to be perfected. And that means that we're just taking one step. So can we just make a commitment to say, Lord, I'm just going to take, take one step towards those people that bug me and that I will agape love them. I will let the joy of the Lord be my strength. I will be a peacemaker. Holy Spirit, you can help me with that. It's a fruit of your spirit. I, I, I can't do it in my own strength, but I can do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know? We'll look next week at the next three. But I do know that the Holy Spirit's going to help us if we give Him permission to do so. In fact, would you all stand with me this morning? And I want to ask if you would bow your heads.
as I pray over you, over all of us, to help us with these first three. Lord Jesus, today, there's people that absolutely do bug us, and you've given us these people not to frustrate us, but to help us to be more like you. You've placed those people in our lives to really squeeze us, because as we see what comes out, we're not happy with it, maybe. We're having a hard time loving them because we're not agape loving them. We can't love them in our own strength. So, Holy Spirit, we open our hearts up to receive this agape love from you right now so that we can love those that are impossible to love in our own strength. We receive your agape love. Won't you do that right now? Help us to love you with all of our, with all of our being and to love others as we love ourselves with that agape love. Lord, I pray too that if we're walking in turmoil and in uh, sadness, anxiousness, frustration, we're not allowing the joy of the Lord to be our strength. We're, we're just wrapped up. We're just wrapped up in so much anxiety, so much burden, so much cares of the world. Lord, we invite you by your Holy Spirit to come pour the joy of the Lord in us that it might be our strength. Remind us of where you've brought us from. You are faithful. You are good. Remind us of who we are in you. We're children of God. Join heirs with Christ Jesus. Remind us of where we're going. That one day we're going to spend eternity with you in heaven. Let that produce joy in us. And then let that joy be so full that we would have enough to share with others and point them to you to bring it full circle. We invite you, joy of the Lord, spirit, fruit of the spirit of Jesus Christ, the joy to come and reign and rule in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, as we struggle right now with making peace. Not many people in this place love turmoil. I would say we all would just love peace. But loving peace and making peace are two different things. So spirit, fruit of the spirit of peace, help us to make peace with others that are at odds with us. Give us the courage that we need, the wisdom that we need, the opportunity that we need, and help us to step in to those opportunities and won't you speak through us and help us to find a place where we're not attacking the person but we're finding a place of, of love and mutual understanding and forgiveness and restoration so that we can all be unified in you. And Lord, for those of us here today who haven't made peace with you, with every eye closed and every head bowed, I want to just as I look around the congregation, if today you need to make peace with God but you haven't, but maybe today's your day, I want you to just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, I need to ask Jesus in my heart. I need to make peace with him. Is that anybody here in this place today? Just lift up your hand and put it right back down and we'll pray a prayer together here in just a moment. Yes, I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. There's two of them. Anybody else? How many needs to make peace with God today? How many needs to make peace with God? That you, You've walked your own way. You've done your own thing. Anybody at home watching? Just lift up your hand. God sees your hand. He knows your heart. He knows the hunger in your heart. He knows the need that you have. This turmoil that you're living in. 
God can take it right now and make peace in your heart. Remove that turmoil and make it right with him. Anybody else, just lift up your hand. Put it right back down. We'll pray together a prayer real quickly. The window's closing for this opportunity. Just another moment. Lift up your hand. Put it right back down. We'll pray together. Yes. I want us to all pray this prayer together whether you raise your hand or not. It's a prayer that simply says, Jesus, forgive me my sins. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. This turmoil in my heart, I'm tired of it. I pray that you come live in my heart and help me to have peace with you. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm now saved, washed clean of my sins, born again. I'm a child of God, and I'm now looking forward to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Now I pray that your Holy Spirit would um, seal this decision by filling each one right now with your Holy Spirit. In fact, would you just all lift up your hands right now and say, Holy Spirit, I just invite you into my life. I need the fruit of love. I need the fruit of joy. I need the fruit of peace to rise up in me and be evident in me. Oh, we praise you, Jesus. We praise you, Holy Spirit, for pouring into us these things that we are so severely lacking, that we would walk these things out more fully this week is our prayer. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to fill us, empower us, love through us. Let the joy of the Lord be our strength. Let the peace that passes all understanding rule our hearts and minds. Let us, Father God, make peace with those around us. Let the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, and peace flow through us, Lord God, out to others. We receive this, not just today, but Lord, every day, do the same thing. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. I want you every day to do this. When you get up, before you, you know, get busy with your day, even if you can, before you make your first cup of coffee, if that's even possible, say, Lord, I need your joy. I need your agape. I need your agape love. I need your uh, empowering, strengthening joy. And I need your, your peacemaking ability. I need those three things in my life today. And he'll give you opportunities and things will squeeze you. And you go, oh, I've done better. Or, oh, I could do better. And that's okay. But make it, put it in front of your conscious. Be intentional with it, okay? And let the Holy Spirit help you with those three things, okay? And I can't wait to hear some good testimonies of this. These altars are open if you need prayer for anything. Hope you guys will have a wonderful 4th of July. Would you just, as we close out today, let's pray for our nation. And um, Lord knows our nation needs prayer. And then we'll dismiss you. And anybody that needs prayer for anything, these people are here to meet God on your behalf. But let's pray. Father God, we just, as we dismiss here today, we don't want to, we don't want to, dismiss this service without bringing this nation, this blessed nation to your throne today. We pray for the United States of America. We pray, Lord God, that you would help this nation to repent, to turn back to you. Your word says, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins and heal their land. Father, we represent, we stand in representation of the United States of America today as American citizens, as U.S. citizens. Lord God, yes, we are citizens of your kingdom, but we're also citizens of this great nation. 
and we repent, Lord God. We, we stand in the gap for this nation and we confess our sins. We repent. We turn from our wicked ways. Father God, I pray that this nation, the leadership of this nation, the, uh, the, the, the different people that are behind the scenes doing what they're doing, that Father God, that you would cease them, that you would stop them, that you would help them to stop and realize what they're doing, that they would come to their senses, that you deliver them from evil, that they would turn to you, Lord God, and that this would be a nation that would be reigned and ruled by righteousness, Lord God. Your word says if we repent of our sins and turn from our wicked ways, you're going to hear us. You're going to forgive our sins. You're going to heal our land. Lord God, we walk in repentance. Won't you heal our land today in every way, Lord God? Relationships and morals and, and, and all the different things that are going on, Lord God. It seems like it's so much, but it's not bigger than you. You can turn this nation around. Won't you do it as we walk in repentance, as we confess our sins, as we turn back to you. Turn this nation as a whole back to you, Lord God. And let the better days be ahead for this nation and not behind us. We pray for this nation. Help us, Father God, to be salt and light as we leave this place as we've had church today. May we go out and be the church today and this week and be salt and light. May we, Lord God, represent you well and be part of the solution in people's lives and not part of the problem. We thank you, Jesus, for these things. And all God's people said, amen. All God's people said, amen. All God's people said, amen.